The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you in part by SadmenForLonelyWomen.com. SadmenForLonelyWomen.com. Your one-stop shop for all comedy, satire, and news needs. The Good Trash Genre Cast is also brought to you in part by listeners like you through Patreon.com. For more information, go to Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. Here comes the number 12 train. Destroy Boom and the breed together. You're crazy. No, I'm death. Plain and simple. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we apply film studies analysis to films that don't belong in a film studies course. This week's film is Ty West's new film, The Sacrament, in which we see a documentary footage of uh, Lutheran and Roman Catholic theologians discuss and debate the difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation. But more on that... Sounds like a terrible movie. (laughs) Is that starring Kurt Cameron? Uh, y- yes, yes, and and Nick Cage. Okay, all right. <laughs> and so uh, we're very, very happy to be discussing that here in just a few moments. Um, first of all, though, we have to identify the disembodied voices speaking directly to your brain through your generic audio MP3 playing device. To my right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, I'm not really supposed to talk about the parish, uh, especially not with outsiders. Across the table, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and remind me not to drink the Kool-Aid. Hey, Arthur, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very well done, sir. Uh, to my left, if you would, sir. I'm Caleb Masters. I'm back again, and uh, I disagree, Arthur. I think you should drink it. Drink it. Drink it. Very good, very good. Thank you very much. Uh, to my left, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and I ain't going to heaven. Mm. <laughs> oh, no way. Saddest, saddest moment in the film. My name is Dustin Sells, and uh, I'm just going to leave my sister in Africa. That's all I got to say. Moving. Yeah, fuck that. As somebody who's got a, a sister who's, who's done some dumb shit, 
Nah, man. We're, we're going to talk a bit more about Ty West's The Sacrament. Now, to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. And so here is our um, spoiler buffer. We're going to give a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and then our fast thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. After that point, spoilers ahoy, we move into analysis, and you have now been warned. So there you have it, and there you go. Uh, let's begin with that synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A news team trails a man as he travels into the world of Eden Parish to find his missing sister, where it becomes apparent that this paradise may not be as it seems. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, for that. Let's begin with those reviews. I'm going to go counterclockwise around the table at this point. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? This was a good film. I enjoyed watching it. Um, I liked the performances of all the lead the lead actors. The climactic scene of the film is heart-wrenching, terrifying, and just absolutely insane. Um, and, I mean, I, I don't really have a lot of criticisms for it, but, I, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I think I would watch it again. Thank you very much. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you? I think this is a super sharp and really well-paced horror movie. Uh, lays low on the jump scares, but it really delivers on the impact, you know? Uh, <clears throat> something I noticed this time around was how quickly it escalates, but in retrospect, because this movie goes from about like a nice, somber pace, it jumps up uh, within a, a course of about 10 minutes to like a really intense movie. So I really, uh, I really dug that. Uh, really kind of um, really hit home just how dangerous this is. Uh, I think uh, this is the second time I've seen it, and I think it really lends itself to rewatch value. Lots of different themes and ideas at work, uh, and I, I agree with what Alex is saying. Uh, great performances all around, and I definitely think it's uh, worth uh, rewatching. There's a lot of uh, rewards to come from catching it again. Thank you very much. Cross table, if you would, sir. I was actually quite surprised that I liked this as much as I did. Uh, typically, I find West's movies to be very well made, but not quite for me. Um, going back to our show with House of the Devil from a few years ago, I, I really do think it's a very well made movie, but it just isn't my cup of tea, which is becoming our catchphrase around here. Uh, but this one works like a charm for me. I really, I don't know if enjoyed is the word, but I really got into it. I thought it was very engaging. Uh, the direction is solid. He ratchets up the tension at a great pace, and so I, I really enjoyed that about it. Uh, I feel like my only one issue with this is that in the last act, it gets a little clunky and just kind of comes to a stop. And so that's really the only issue I took with it. It was more of a pacing thing in that last act. Outside of that, I, uh, I'm pretty thumbs up on this one and enjoyed it quite a bit. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you say? You know, this is the second time I've seen uh, The Sacrament. Uh, the first time I saw The Sacrament, I was like, oh, Oh, he can make another movie as good as The House of the Devil. Okay, uh, watching it this time, I don't know if I'm, I'm that hot on it. Uh, I do still like it a whole lot. Um, I, I don't know. The first time going in, I went in knowing as little as possible on purpose, uh, and I didn't realize that it was loosely based on Jonestown. Uh, that's not really a spoiler because all of the media for this film mentions that. Even the I believe the Netflix uh, plot summary mentions it. But man, does it take the tension right out of the movie where, when you know where it's going to go. Uh, I, I feel like the best thing about this film is the, the uncertainty about where the hell they're going, what the hell they're doing there, w what people's motivations are. Uh, and then in the last you know 30 minutes, as we've discussed, uh, things go off the rails in a big way. And I still like it a lot. I still think it's a very good movie. Um, you know, A.J. Bowen and um, Joe Swanberg both give really great performances. They're really the two leads here. Um, the film does kind of rest on their backs. Um, and that's, I mean, I love the interview scene is 
fucking great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is that interview between the two of them. Um, it's fantastic. And the whole time you're just like, what is happening right now? So uh, th- those are my thoughts on the film. Dustin? Well, as I said, I, I liked it quite a bit, even though I was not or was aware that this is sort of the direction I was going. But um, what I would say is, as you say, uh, the found footage is well explained. The performances are very, very great. Caroline's performance, which yeah. we haven't talked about, yeah. is fantastic. I've seen well. her in something else. I cannot remember what, but I really like her. Yeah, and I really like the performance of Father as well. I mean, Joe Schwalmberg and A.J. Bowen are, are great, too. Um, you know, I, I feel like that's just, like, assumed at this point. I mean, those guys are great in all that they do. But uh, love Father, love Caroline. Um, and it uh, felt like uh, the other actors um, had a uh, believability about them, you know, in the way that they sort of seemed to be folks who were taken in on this sort of thing. And they were in different places of their sort of commitment to the discipleship of the cult. And uh, I found that to be interesting uh, of itself. So, you know, I really liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. I I. Didn't I wasn't scared per se, um, but I had an overwhelming sense of dread throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt much more um, Argo-like, uh, the sense of dread of what's going to happen, how it's going to go down, having some idea of what could possibly general discomfort. Yeah, it was just yeah, and so it's suspense. It's, it's a suspense film. Um, there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases. They're generally pro uh, towards the film. Let's get down to business. It's business. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis. I am so excited to hear what these dear co-hosts have to say. I start with you, Caleb Masters. What say you? Okay, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Ty West's perspective on this. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough, the first time I saw this movie, I actually caught it when it was on the festival circuit uh, in my short stint. Uh, yeah. Well, I was at the Phoenix Film Festival. Uh, Get In was covering it for one of the websites I write for, and it was really cool. I heard he was going to be there. I'm like, got to check this out. Went in pretty blind as far as what the topic was. I just knew it was Ty West and loosely what it was about, right? So uh, I know you guys are very much generally about authorial, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, you know more about like the author be damned type thing. But I did, I did think it would be interesting to bring to the table some of the, the things he talked about in the, in the context with the context, the movie, the setting, what he was going for. Um, so um, I, I was able to talk. I uh, was with him and a group of other uh, writers after the Phoenix Film Festival, do kind of like a Q and A and interview style stuff. So uh, one of the things he talked about, and I'm glad you mentioned this, uh, Dalton, with the way he approached the found quote unquote found footage format was he did not set out to make a found footage movie when he was scripting the story. Uh, he was telling a story and he's like, Hey, actually, you know what? I think it would make more sense if I did it like this. Huh? Um, not, he, he said, you know, this was not a found footage story when I was beginning the script and got the idea. That's really um, interesting. The idea he wanted, he had ideas from house of the devil that he didn't feel like he got to thoroughly explore. Uh, and he talked a lot about his uh, borderline obsession with uh, cults. Uh, he's. It was very interesting because he. he and the, I think this movie sells it too. Uh, Prints the idea that there, there's something seductive about it. Like you have the, the charismatic speakers that that just wow you into it. Like it doesn't matter how smart you are or or, or you know how, they're able to disarm you and then sweep you up into the whimsy of the group. Right? You know the old saying. You know the more people are in the room the less intelligent all of them become. It's that type of mentality he talked about and how there was something almost spiritual about it that really that was really interesting to him and he wanted to explore that with this movie. Um, so obviously the Jonestown Massacre in 1978 where more than 900 people were killed um, 
or suicide themselves, uh, however you want to present it. Uh, so, yeah, the, the one point I really want to hit on with him, though, was his obsession specifically with the, the charismatic leaders because he believes that these are the people that really drive the entire cult mentality. Yes, we all, I mean, we, uh, people who are in cults are going to buy into it because of said charisma, but he was more fascinated with exploring those character characters or historical figures. Uh, and ta- he mentioned a few of his uh, you know, inspirations when uh, designing the character father were people like Arl Hubbard and Billy Graham and Gandhi. Uh, these very powerful icons, not all of them bad guys, but they had that just ability to win over crowds and masses with their words uh, and talked about how he thinks they are. Um, it, it's such a gamble when you have people like that because some of them end up being very inspirational. But he says hey, all it takes is someone who doesn't actually know what the hell they're talking about, who believes it enough to create a, a cult, uh, in this case, father, who we clearly see by the end of the movie. We're not really sure he's not living on planet Earth, uh, you know, because there's some of those charismatic leaders you, you, you hear you're like, ah, they probably don't buy the stuff they're selling. Right. And in this case, the movie, I think it's very much he doesn't really know if he buys it, which makes it even more dangerous because then he convinces a bunch of people to kill himself and then immediately is like, whoops. Uh, so, you know, really just his obsession with with the, the cult mentality um, and their and the the detriment of charismatic speakers um, to our culture. I just kind of wanted it. It was really, it was really the focal point I wanted to have. He talked a lot about that and how he had did really in-depth research. So I, I th- And I think the movie does uh, – the, the scene when the interview with Father really does kind of capture that essence of being swept in. And even, even the main character said, well, I don't even know what just happened, man. Yeah, A.J. Bowen's character mentions he's like, I just t- – t- Totally got swept up in his energy. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's all about all I, all I have really. Um, if just kind of explore like like uh, his his fascination with the the cults of their impact on overall society and how uh, he he presented that uh, the idea that uh, oftentimes if I, if I have a concluding thought it's that oftentimes we all buy into cults of some sort. Do we have we are followers on Twitter? Are we not um, for charismatic figures, personalities, things like that? Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? Well, I want to touch briefly on um, why I think found footage works so well and tie that into um, what the found footage device here is, and that's gonzo journalism. So gonzo journalism is essentially this idea that um, is kind of counterintuitive to traditional journalism. Uh, where in traditional journalism, the the journalist is supposed to be removed from the subject uh, to com- maintain complete objectivity, uh, to not get involved, to maintain their presence as a as a complete third party fly on the wall observer. Gonzo journalism kind of flies in the face of that and says, "Nope, I was there. This is what happened. This is how I was a part of what happened." Um, Hunter S. Thompson was kind of like. The, the forefather of this movement. I mean, I don't think he, I don't know if he was the first one, but he was one of the the people to really kind of push it forward. Uh, and again, it's this idea that says no, there is a lot to be shown from saying yes, I was part of the story, and here is what happened. Um, and that's exactly what's happening. Vice does this a lot, um, but in particular, our, our characters in the film who are supposed to be working for Vice um, are Gonzo journalists in a sense. Um, their subject works for Vice magazine. Um, they are actively interviewing people. They are living there among them. They are trying to get to better know them. And I think what's really interesting about that gonzo journalism is they kind of tie it into found footage. They they find a really good device because a lot of the times the found footage, uh, it's almost like, why the fuck would anybody still be recording this? Uh, but they find a really 
good reason to because they're recording it for posterity. I mean, they're journalists. They're trying to capture what's happening. Even when the shit hits the fan, they keep recording because they're like, well, if we die, somebody needs to know what happened here. And I think that's a really uh, cool thing to do. And Arthur and I talked a little bit about, you know, this the cinema verite and um, just stripped down filmmaking. I mean, I wouldn't go as, you know, there's the there's the Dogma 95 movement that Lars von Trier and all of his buddies were uh, a part of. Uh, this idea of stripping down film to be less filmy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cinema Verite doesn't go that far, but it is essentially this, like, make it as true as you can, as little flash as possible. Um, but again, Dogma 95 has, like, rules about editing. <sighs> Nerds. Um, but I think what's cool about Gonzo Journalism, you say, oh, this is a film about Gonzo Journalists, and it almost, by virtue of trying to keep that true to itself makes it that cinema verite style where you are trying to capture things as they're happening, which is what that style of filmmaking purports to do. It doesn't gussy it up. It doesn't sex it up. Just this is what's happening. Now, obviously, this is a horror film for all intents and purposes. So there is violence. There is an implied three-way. I mean, they, it's a horror movie. I mean, what are you going to do? But one thing I do want to talk about is kind of this inherent flaw in gonzo journalism, or I guess this inherent concern. I don't know if you could call it a flaw, per se. Uh, you know, journalism, by design, is intended to remain as objective as possible. Uh, with gonzo journalism, it forces subjectivity because the author is part of the subject of the writing. Uh, and that's very much what's happening here. As they're, And they even say at one point, you know, we do... They say, they say we want to be as subjective as possible, and I'm like, hey... I'm pretty sure you meant objective, A.J. Bowen, uh, because they, you know, they are part of the story, but I don't think they think of themselves as being the story, whereas Hunter S. Thompson, when he was on the campaign trail, um, with, was it Goldwater he was on the campaign trail with? I can't remember. But, um, you know, in, in Fear and Loathing, stories are about him. Uh, it's very truthful and accurate reporting to the best of his recollec- recollec- recollection. Woo, there we go. Uh, but it is about him. And I think that can, you know, create a problem and kind of... You know, with the advent of digital media, um, you know, reporting happens a lot faster, um, and fact-checking is kind of tossed to the wayside. And don't get me wrong, there, there is something to be said for expediency uh, when reporting on the news, especially, you know, things with, like, the Arab Spring, where it was happening on Twitter. I mean, where it was needed to, you know, people, information needed to be disseminated as quickly as possible. There is something to be said for expediency, but... Um, I mean, yeah, you lose something when you don't have people making sure that only the truth is being reported, and when it becomes about who can report it the fastest. Um, this is something that uh, even the AP has run into. I mean, the Associated Press, who is supposed to be like the blandest face of news reporting in the known universe, even they fuck it up sometimes, um, more than once recently. Uh, and, and that's kind of a problem. And, you know, this film doesn't really touch on it at all, but it did make it's something that made me think about was. While there is something to be said for the human experience, especially the you know, I, I think uh, a writer or a journalist's experience in a in a situation is valid and can be really telling and showing of the circumstances of an event. Uh, but you lose something; you lose that that third party detached truth, uh, and it becomes more a first person truth, which is valuable in its own right. Um, but I think you lose something. Uh, but it does definitely work very well as a device for a found footage film, I will say that, um, because it gives a reason for the cameras to keep rolling, um, and it it gives more of a pathos, I guess, um, for some reason. I, I don't know. For me, though, this idea of these people who are just there trying to do their job and trying to 
show something that's interesting to the world getting wrapped up in this craziness. It just, you know, they, they weren't people looking for trouble, uh, which is what you get in things like, you know, the Blair Witch Project or, you know, shit like that. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I appreciate that analysis quite a lot. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis offer you? It's one of the worst feelings in the world uh, to try and argue a certain point and realize you're 100% wrong. After I watched this movie... (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like my entire experience of grad school. No doubt. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, After I watched this movie this weekend, the entire weekend I was struggling with it. What genre is this film? Uh, Ty West made it, so by auteurism, then it's a horror movie, but that seems a little simplistic because um, it deals with issues of authorial intent, and I really have problems with that. So what do you do whenever you're trying to justify a genre of a film? After watching this movie, I didn't, I didn't think the, the film I just saw was a horror film, despite people being able to justify it being one. I mean, to be fair, I've seen a very limited pool of horror movies. Maybe that contributes to the reason why I didn't think it was one. I originally was going to pull out a list of attributes that this film displays or doesn't display to justify it as not a horror movie, but just as an intense thriller. But as I reflect on this now, I think that really totally misses the point. Um, Just how a physician can use symptoms to diagnose an underlying illness and just how those physicians can be wrong in their justification without the substantial tests, I was going to apply some flawed thinking to justify this movie not as a horror movie, but as something, anything else. I would say one of the key reasons why I was trying to say this wasn't a horror movie is that it really didn't scare me super severely or get under my skin like other movies like other horror movies I've seen have but I have to keep in mind this movie doesn't really hit on like my horror pressure points like other horror movies do and I've had dare I say it the slightest bit of fun learning what my horror pressure points are I mean that's part of the journey right so, where does this leave me in terms of what genre is this film? For me, forgive me if this seems all outrageously rudimentary because I am someone who has never started watching horror movies until about a year ago. Um, however, as I struggled with this film, my eyes were open to this quote I read from an essay um, entitled The Elements of Aversion by Elizabeth Barrett. And the quote is as follows. The old fight-or-flight reaction to our evolutionary heritage once played a major role in, in the life of every human. Our ancestors lived and died by it. Then someone invented the fascinating game known as civilization, and things began to calm down. Development pushed back wilderness from settled lands. War and crime and other social violence came with civilization, and humans started preying on each other, but by and large, daily life calmed down. Then we began to feel restless, restless, to feel something missing, the excitement of living on the edge, the tension between the hunter and the hunted. So we told each other stories through the long, dark nights when the fires burned low, and, so, and, and we did so to scare the daylights out of each other. The rush of adrenaline feels good. Our hearts pound, our breath quickens, and we can imagine ourselves living on the edge, yet we also appreciate the insightful aspects of horror. Sometimes a story intends to, to shock and disgust, but the best horror intends to rattle our cages and shake us out of complacency. It makes us think, it forces us to confront ideas we might rather ignore, and it challenges preconceptions of all kinds. Horror reminds us the world isn't always as safe as it seems, which exercises our mental muscles and reminds us to keep a little healthy caution close at hand. I wholeheartedly believe, after reading this essay, that Ty West's The Sacrament is not just a horror movie, but maybe the best example of a horror movie. Not so much about cheap thrills as, it, as much as being confronted with ideas we'd rather push under the surface to come 
and not come to grips with. It's not just supernaturally horrific or gore explosions extraordinaire, but it's the true evil that serves as a reminder to keep our our healthy caution close at hand because this has happened before in real life and it can happen again. And the fact that it could very easily happen to you or me makes it a true ghost story of our age. Excellent, excellent. I, I appreciate that analysis very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Uh, what I want to offer in terms of analysis is I want to think about this film, and I might get a little ranty at a point or two uh, throughout uh, this, but I, I want to think about, again, sort of narratology, and uh, something that's really wise in this film is that bad guys in real life never know they're bad guys. They they think, in fact, they are good guys. And as Dalton was um, alluding to earlier, this, this interview scene, it's pretty fantastic. And as I look upon American society, you know what I see? I see greed, and I see racism, and I see violence, and I think something needs to be done. And the father's right. Yeah. Yeah, he is. You know? That's... That's the real fucked up part, man. That's it. Like, he, he's right, so why would you not want to go with this guy who's calling out all this bullshit, right? Yeah, well, yeah, let's, let's do something different. Let's, let's, let's change society. Let's create a new utopia. Let's, let's, let's form our own little syndicate here. I mean, these are, this is sort of a, uh, an imperative that human beings experience all the time. And uh, what I want to call uh, to my aid at this point is Slavoj Žižek's uh, In Defense of Lost Causes, where he defends uh, the reign of terror in France and also Stalin, which is not what you're supposed to do. He defends them, and I've used this phrase before on the show, as, uh, um, as a uh, wrong step in the right direction. Uh, that there is, in fact, this imperative to change the world, to make it better, to do something different. And sometimes along the way, people foul it up in the meantime. But that is no reason to reject what's going on. And uh, part of what he's doing there is sort of defending the French Revolution. He's defending uh, the proletarian revolution in Russia. Um, the same sort of argumentation um, I would like to apply here is uh, some of the argumentation that's used occasionally against Christianity, in that sometimes Christians do terrible, awful messed up things and uh, Jonestown happened it happened under sort of this uh, nomenclature and you know sort of clothed in uh, the trappings of Christianity uh, there have been other terrible things that have happened throughout world history and uh, I'm not going to say that every terrible thing that's ever happened in the history of world history has been uh, something that was actually a good thing just somebody went wrong but I have to say that at this point we have to consider that that does in fact happen that there is a time in which sometimes the good thing is happening and someone in leadership takes it into a crazy weird place. And uh, that is no reason to reject something like that. In fact, I think experiments like what's going on in Eden Parish are kind of a good idea, that we create collectives at times as human beings that sort of try to find different ways of life, to try to reclaim our humanity. That, that I don't think that's a terrible thing at all, that uh, you know, the idea of socialism and the idea of you know, shared means of production and that there, there is sort of an uh, idea of a, a dictatorship of the proletariat, that's not necessarily an evil thing just because it went badly under Stalin. But what the Zhige is saying, um, is, <laughs> as I call him, <laughs> what, what, what he's saying is that is no point for an outright rejection of the methods and ideas that are surrounding a thing. Now, that being said, uh, we need to absolutely repudiate 
when someone does something awful. When Stalin ran the gulags, that's wicked, that's evil. When, when, when Jones passed out the Kool-Aid, that was a terrible thing. And what we should then do, and which what ordinarily happens in discourse, is if you're not on the team, you say, that's horrible, that's awful, that's wicked. No good, no good, no good. See, um, that's, you know, and that's why this ideology is incorrect and baseless and false. If you're on the team of the particular humans involved, you don't have a whole lot of discussion of Stalin and the gulags at your local ISO meeting. You don't have a lot of discussion of David Koresh and or Jim Jones in your Sunday schools. And I think those are mistakes as well. I think what needs to happen is people need to acknowledge that there were horrible things done in the name of your team, whomever your team is. And frankly, human history has been going around long enough. All of our teams have done some terrible things over the course of human history. That those things were done, and we repudiate them, but we, and we will not repeat them. At the same time, when we're looking at somebody else, the guys and gals who are not on our team, and we say, well, you know what socialism gets us? It gets you the gulag and disappearing people to Siberia. You know what Christianity gets you? Kool-Aid and mass suicides. Actually, not the case. In either case, that those things are not necessarily uh, – there's not a necessary one-to-one correspondence between those events. And we need to be more fair to one another to actually have a proper discourse and then start talking about the steps and direction that are actually healing, helpful, and hopeful for our planet. And I think what the film begins to raise by this very sympathetic portrayal of the father is exactly that problematized uh, morality of tragedy like this. And I think what the film suggests, if nothing else, is that ideology is not what makes somebody monstrous. In fact, ideology of various stripes can be quite beneficial. Not always, and we can, uh, we can critique ideologies based on their own merits. And I think Zizek would absolutely encourage us to do that. But what I would say furthermore is that when people act like monsters, it's because they've chosen to be monstrous. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you've heard our analyses. We'd love to hear uh, your comments about that which was said or not said, what we should have said, and what you would say different. And uh, we'd love to hear more about that here in just a little bit. But before we get to that part of the show, we've got to render a verdict where we uh, relegate this film to the shelf or the trash and recommend our else's or instead's. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? Uh, personally, I think it's definitely shelfable. I would go out and pick this up and add it uh, to my shelf uh, just because I, I think it is a very fascinating movie. I, I think it's Ty West's most accessible film. Uh, while I don't think it's technically better than House of the Devil, I would prefer to watch this. It's also a good example of faux documentary found footage uh, working, as Dalton talked about. And so I, I enjoy that about it because I've been watching a lot of horror. And for some god-awful reason, they think found footage is the best way to go uh, right now. And so... Uh, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. That's why. Yeah, it's... And so of, of the four to five I've watched recently, this is probably the best uh, usage of that. Else, uh, check out all of the following cult films, cult-related films, not to be confused with cult films, which are a different thing. Uh, Sound of My Voice, starring Britt Marling. Red State, directed by Kevin Smith. Uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, starring Elizabeth Olsen and John Hawks. And also Faults, uh, from some of the people who brought you the guest. So check that out. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Red State was going to make my list, so well done there. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what do you say? Shelf or trash, and what is your else or instead? I would say this is a shelfable film. Um, I guess if you want to check out more of more of the same, uh, the classic Blair Witch, obviously found footage, 
you know. Um, and then there are also a few documentaries about Jonestown. So if you're interested in that. So there's Jonestown, The Life and Death of the People's Temple. And then there is Jonestown, Paradise Lost. If you are interested more of learning about the source material, you should go watch those. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I think it's very shelfable. Um, again, I, I would agree with Arthur. I, I 100%. It is definitely Ty West's more most accessible film uh, because House of the Devil is by by far and away better. But goddamn, is that a hard movie to watch? It is not not a fun viewing by any stretch of the imagination. And it's my sincere belief that Ty West is going to be a director of some renown by the end of his career. So for those reasons uh, alone, I really think that this is worth your time. Other than being a very well crafted uh, indie horror uh, number. Uh, I'm going to mention some other films that have already come up. Uh, the Blair Witch Project, obviously, is kind of the uh, the granddaddy of found footage. Uh, watch it. I would also recommend uh, Marcy, Martha, May, Marlene. Um, great film, Arthur. Absolutely love it. Been meaning to revisit it for a while. Um, and I finally would recommend the HBO documentary from earlier this year, Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, uh, nice. that shows that, you know, just because... Uh, 900 people don't get killed doesn't mean something isn't poisonous and bad and full of sick, nasty, circular groupthink. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very and much. And there goes my career in Hollywood. I know. It's over now. But uh, I appreciate those picks nonetheless, Mr. Dulcer. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Yeah, I- I'm going to shelf this. There's not really another movie out there on this subject matter, so I think this is mm-hmm. shelf, and I think it's, it's definitely worth laying to. And I think if you are going to own a found footage, this needs to be at least one of one or, or two or three movies you should own. Uh, else, I think you should definitely catch uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, one of the best uh, movies. Oh, shit. Good pick. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like one of the best movies about cults and cult leaders and how one becomes part of a cult well, it's a in recent memory. It's a love story about two men that just happens to be centered around yes. a cult. Yeah. Uh, centered around Great a cult. Great pick, man. Yes. Uh, Children of the Corn also. Definitely <laughs> one you got to check out. That's a Halloween classic right there. Got the vibe. Dalton didn't really like this movie, but I'm going to recommend it anyway because I just think it's a damn good movie. It would be Chronicle, even though it does cheat. No, I like Chronicle. It does cheat. But I, like I, I, I had quite a lot of fun if you're looking for a good found footage movie that's not a horror movie. Lastly, I want to recommend if you want to get the insights of what a contemporary cult looks like, check out the documentary Jesus Camp. Near and dear to lots Excellent of parts of people. Excellent pick. I like that a lot. All right. Well, I'm going to also – I'm not going to say shelf, I don't think. Um, not that it's not worth my time. Not that it's not interesting. Not that it's not fascinating for various reasons. Um, I will echo all the suggestions of all my dear co-hosts, and I will only add one other since you've taken most of mine. Um, and that would be We Are What We Are. So there you go, dear uh, listener. You've now heard our recommends, our else's, or instead's. Your syllabus just got longer. Let's move on, though, and talk about how you can be part of the conversation as well. Because otherwise, we're just talking to ourselves, which is something we would do anyway. And we want you to be part of that conversation. So I go to you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Do you know anything about social media and how we can have the conversation continue? Uh, yes, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast, one word. In regards to Scream, Shelby Park says, love this movie. It's in my top ten favorites of all time. Uh, without it, we never would have gotten some of the amazing horror movies of the last 20 years. Horror was pretty much a dead genre. And Scream brought it back to life. I think people had forgotten that horror could be a legitimately thrilling and entertaining genre. Shelby, thank you for that feedback. We would probably mostly concur with you on that. And that's what we have coming in from Facebook. You can also find us on Google Plus or email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and we love interacting and stuff. We've also had a lot of uh, shares and a very good reach this week. Uh, people seeing our posts and sharing our posts, so we're very thankful for that. Uh, so yeah, get connected with us. We really like it. Sir? Is there another place of social media by which we could be found? 
Well, if you look in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, in view of your many tweets, do not conform any longer to the pattern of sub-tweets, but be transformed by retweeting and favoriting repeatedly. I loved that and hated it at the same time. My You're not allowed to do that ever again. My this, skin is crawling guys, off of my body is, right this, now. Okay, <laughs> Dustin, get the disgusting. fuck out of here. This is my job still. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. That's never happening again. I cannot believe I relinquished control to you for a moment. <laughs> well, before I leave, do you have any feedback coming in from the Twitter? That was very upsetting. Oh, my God. Jeez. Lots of retweets and favorites. A friend of Alex's, uh, James Lane, that's at as underscore one underscore does, recommended. Uh, we cover Tiptoes, possibly the worst movie ever made. Uh, we've got a new follow in the way of Alex Newman. So uh, thank you for that, Alex. He's a local OKC comedian. Oh, thank you, Mr. Newman. Uh, Brigham did mention uh, at Xavier Woods PhD's gaming channel. He says it's got uh, tons of awesome gameplays. Uh, that's a, Alex tells me that's a wrestling person, and yep. I'm just going to agree with he, her. Uh, that's what we've got coming in from the Twitter this week, though. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Of course, you can keep the conversation going at Gmail, goodtrashhonorcast at gmail.com. You can leave us comments on iTunes, also at the Podbean site proper, also at Sad Men for Lonely Women, also at Stitcher Internet Radio, also nowhere else that I can think of off the top of my head. But I kept saying also, and I wanted to say it at least one more time. So, with no further ado, I believe as I look upon my watch, it is well past time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> That's right, dear listener. And this week's game is our favorite horror directors. That's right. Favorite horror directors brought to you by Ty West's The Sacrament. Ty West's The Sacrament. Hey, Ty West, the kid, uh, he's going places, and he directs horror films, so let's do that. Well, Dalton, just go ahead and hang on the microphone with your cold, dead fingers right there. Tell me what your picks are. Well, we're going to do a round table, I I think is what we decided. Yes, we're going to go three, two, one, right? Okay, that sounds good to me. I want to go ahead and kick us off with... uh the uh, the new gen the uh, the the men of mumble gore uh, Ty West and Adam Wingard now I've only seen um, Year Next and the guest from Adam Wingard uh, as well as the shorts he did for um, VHS and VHS two uh, I hear really great things about both of his earlier very very low budget films I just haven't got around to them so I really look forward to it um, but between Your Next and The House of the Devil I think they're both two of the best horror films uh, to be released over the last 10 years or so. Uh, but those are my picks for uh, th- number three, uh, a tie for the, the new breed of horror. Well, we would expect you would cheat. Very well done, sir. Thank you very much. What do you say, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, my number three, there's kind of a recurring trend through most of my picks, and I appreciate tension, I appreciate atmosphere, and I, be, I appreciate uh, raising the stakes. And number three uh, is capable of doing that no matter what he's handling, if it's a studio uh, piece of junk or if it's independent. And that's James Wan uh, with Saw, Dead Silence, The Conjuring, and Insidious. The man knows how to build a world. He knows how to create tension and atmosphere. And for that, I, I greatly enjoy his movies. I think he's a, a very solid director who's working right now. He can do other things. He can do action and so uh, I really appreciate his work. And so my number three pick is James Wan. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what's your pick? Uh, well, Arthur went in and smugged up my number three. So I'm going to go on to my next pick, which is going to be the man, the legend who just put out Crimson Peak, 
whose movie you can hear us review on uh, one of those bonus episodes that were put out. And that is the, the writer-director, Guillermo del Toro. You know, he's done a lot of different things, usually somewhat related to that realm four, but I'm going to name three. Uh, classic Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Devil's Backbone, and then Crimson Peak. Are those horror movies? Eh, depends on who you ask. Well, in the realm, they are in the realm of horror. Blade Two is an action horror, and then you got Mimic, which that's a horror. That, it's a horror film. Yeah, and then you got The Strain, which is a horror, uh, series. horror series. Yeah. yeah. Did, but if you want to go see a man who, as Arthur mentioned, uh, atmosphere and detail mm-hmm. and, and visceral thrills. I'm talking like you just feel like you're right there, and you can just feel the scenery. You can feel the scenery. It, it, there's just something really special about his his attention to detail that just is suction in the movie, and I think that uh, makes even even when he's not doing a straight horror movie, makes it a really unique horror experience. Good pick, man, Dustin. Uh, I can't wait to hear what your picks are. What's your number three? My number three is a producer, not a director. Okay, uh, from RKO in the '40s, Val Luton. And uh, The Body Snatcher with Karloff, uh, The Cat People, um, other films. Uh, what will happen in that time is uh, d- producers had more control than a director did. Yeah. And uh, these very, very noirish, very, very stylish uh, set of horror films came out of RKO at that time under sort of the auspices of David Selznick. And uh, fascinating stuff uh, there. So um, Val Luton would be my pick for number three. So moving right on to number two, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? My number two, I thought about for a while, and uh, you know what? My number two's actually got a really kind of shoddy track record, uh, but when two of your films are as good as two of his films, it doesn't fucking matter. It's George A. Romero, specifically because of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, Romero's had some problems um, in terms of cranking out good movies. I mean, Survival of the Dead's not very good. But when you are responsible for an entire subgenre of horror films, when you are responsible for zombies... As a genre, you deserve credit, and credit be given where credit is due. And those movies are both terrifying. I mean, you go back and watch them, they both hold up incredibly well. So that's my number two pick, uh, George A. Romero, uh, specifically uh, his first two uh, zombie films. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Number two for you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Uh, Again, atmosphere and tension matter a lot, and uh, these films aren't necessarily horror per se, uh, but they are very suspenseful, very thrillery, and they are very, very creepy. And I am going to go and break Dalton's rule and talk about David Fincher uh, at number two, specifically looking at Seven and Zodiac. Uh, Zodiac being one of the creepiest movies I've ever seen. Okay, this feels like a cheat, but I'm I'm okay with it because because <laughs> it's Fincher. I will say I did make us do Zodiac for uh, Shocktober two years ago. Yeah. Because um, that feels like a horror movie to me. That ending, well, near the ending sequence, uh, when uh, Joan Hall's in the basement, Joan Hall's in John John Carroll Lynch's basement. Ugh. It is one of the creepiest moments, and no matter how many times I've seen it, I am still irked out because it is so disturbing. And Fincher just does a great job of shooting it and building the mystery and what's happening and who's doing what. And I just think it's a great. And same with Seven. Seven is just so so dark and so atmospheric. I just I love the work in. It's not pure horror, but, I mean, if we're going to talk about names like uh, Del Toro or, or Hitchcock, uh, who mainly works suspense and thriller, then Fincher's on that list for me. Fair and enough. so number two is David Fincher. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what's your number two pick? Uh, number two, I'm going to have to go with uh, another recent, recent pick, and that is Scott Derrickson, up-and-coming Scott Derrickson. Uh, he has done. Uh, he, he's kind of a newer name uh, in the realm of uh, mainstream horror, but he's done a couple of good ones, uh, most notably one of my favorite horror movies of the last ten years, which is Sinister. So which, good. It's so good. It's just like got it the too. right amount of meta 
and, and, and it gets... It's an absolutely fantastic oh, film. Uh, but, man, talk about an eerie ending that just gets under my skin every time I think about it. I mean, so, under your skin. Uh, he also did The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which, again, arguably a horror. Uh, really great, uh, interesting look at that case, though. And it's still kind of a terrifying case. Uh, and more recently, he also did Deliver Us From Evil, a movie that was... Not, I mean, it was supposed to be a horror, but it was kind of funny, you know. Anytime, anything that's got uh, Joel Miguel, right? It's kind of hard to take it seriously, but I had a good time. It still captured the atmosphere, uh, so that'll be my number two pick. Dustin, how about your next pick? Well, I have to say, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. Wes Craven, um, is my number two pick. I mean, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, The Hills Have Eyes, uh, The Last House on the Left, the Scream films. The man is brilliant at some horror direction. And uh, as far as like a mainstream sort of commercial success, he is absolutely fantastic in it. He knows how to construct a tale. He knows film studies well enough to make the connections. He kills Drew Barrymore. Why? Because Janet Leigh died very fast in Psycho. This is the kind of director we're talking about who's just that kind of smart. And uh, love him um, oh so much. Rest in peace, Mr. Craven, sir. All righty. Well, we're going to move on to number one, the number one pick for your favorite horror director. Moving right around the table, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? My number one was Wes Craven. Uh, uh, Dustin, yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. Um, yeah, what more do you need? Hills Have Eyes, Scream, Nightmare Before Elm Street. Mic drop. Done. Like, fucking conversation over. I'm going to kick the mic back over to you, Arthur. I, I, what more can I say? Dustin, you did a great job of telling everyone why Wes Craven is a great horror director, and he was my number one. Well, my number one is John Carpenter. Because Go I, on. I think he is a, a very solid... Uh, whether it's suspense thriller director or horror director. I mean, and I go back more to Halloween uh, than I would say the thing. And, it, and again, it goes to atmosphere, tension, and raising the stakes. And that's the common thread with my picks. And John Carpenter, arguably one of the more influential horror directors uh, of his time, especially when he first started. Um, when we when we talk Halloween and and what that does and while yeah I'd say that's definitely fair I mean just because he only did I mean, he's a very prolific filmmaker and just because he only did a couple of horror movies doesn't you know disqualify him because you're right I mean when your horror movies are Halloween and the thing yeah did you even need to make any more yeah um, he did he, he he did he he tried his hand but um, I I just his 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 talent overall I mean a he's working as editor and usually the score uh, the the composer for his films as well. Uh, so he's creating iconic scores, uh, but also just his eye and his prowess and, and the eight minute point of view shot that opens up Halloween, which is just magnificent. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's great filmmaking uh, on the whole. And I could talk about Halloween all day. Uh, and even though he didn't sh- direct to, uh, he did reshoots and, and polished it up, and I think what he added to the movie really made it stand out. As it's it's a solid sequel to the Halloween franchise, and a franchise that is littered with bad sequels. Uh, two is two is actually really good, and so I, I think John Carpenter's one of the best horror directors uh, around, and so I, I really appreciate his work, and that's why he's my number one. Excellent, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Caleb Masters. What is your number one horror director pick? Uh, yeah, I, I just want to second that. He did set the tone for an entire genre for the next 40 years. So yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, I want to, uh, you know, Wes Craven was also my number one. Uh, so I want to, I want to offer some alternatives. I just, everything He's the man who made the horror movie. He remade the horror movie and then made fun of the remake of his horror movie. So what else is there to say about that? Well, Dustin, do we want to go ahead and bring the station in, in uh, to this, bring this train into the station? Wow. Uh, what's, what's your number one pick for 
your favorite horror director? Well, I'm titling this pick. Um, Dario Argento is my number one pick, or why Rob Zombie isn't. And the reason why (laughs) 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 is because Dario Argento understands the, the need for style in horror, how you can use moments of horror, how they don't necessarily have to be connected in a narrative sort of sense. Um, you know, see a sort of need to loosely frame those things together in a way to create some visual moments that will remain with you, that will horrify and shock you. When there is a body that floats up out of a subterranean basement in um, Dario Argento's Inferno, it, it is absolutely terrifying. Suspiria also terrifying, and I could go on and on about his films. And uh, the, he's really, really brilliant. The reason why I don't love Rob Zombie is because all his movies are not The Lords of Salem. And yeah. um, I mean, I yeah, that's what it, I mean. That's really what it comes down Dead to. Dead on balls accurate. Um, it, it is that um, what Argento does and what maybe Zombie accidentally did, and we'll see what 32 does when it comes out. And I'm excited about that. His clown movie that's coming out very quickly. Um, Boo. Ew, gross. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm on the email list. Uh, me and Rob were buddies. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, okay. What I would say is that. The what he fails to do is realize that you can go ahead and go full out, you know, sort of disconnected moments of horror and create an experience uh, rather than trying to sort of like, you know, give oneself over to sort of traditional Hollywood narrative. Dario Argento, on the other hand, complete. Oh, I said I said thirty two, didn't I? I meant thirty one. The the improper number. Um, anyway, the point being, he he fails uh, to recognize. Um, that you don't actually have to go ahead and be slavishly devoted to that sort of classical Hollywood narrative system. And if he would go ahead and free himself of that, he'd become Dario Argento in the U.S. and probably be my favorite horror director of all time. Good times. Well, let's move on and conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear listener. We're going to talk about all of our fired upness for you all. I move around the table, I guess, clockwise at this point. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? Well, not really, but I was gone last week, so I'll just use what I was going to talk to you guys about last week when I became deathly ill. Um, well, I guess there was a little spillover. So I caught up with Sicario, which is absolutely fantastic. I love it to pieces. You should go watch it immediately. That's uh, from Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve, you however... Uh, who directed Prisoners and Enemy. It's his new film starring Emily Blunt, um, Benicio Del Toro, and Josh Brolin. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. One of my favorite films of the year. Absolutely astonishing uh, work of tension and suspense. A fantastic action thriller um, that is subversive and interesting. Uh, Also caught up with The Martian, which is now old news, but I really liked it. You should go see it. Also uh, got to see a uh, press screening of Crimson Peak, You've already listened to that bonus episode if you're a good listener. If you're not <laughs> if you're not a good listener, go listen to that. Last but not least, uh, spent a good, good chunk of time playing the Star Wars Battlefront beta that just closed uh, on Monday of this week. Holy shit, was that fun. It wasn't it? Oh, uh, Caleb was so good. Oh, it was so good. I was on, I think, all weekend, hopping on five games in a row. Yeah. It's so much fun, and I cannot wait to play that uh, November 18th. November 18th. And that's what I'm fired up about this week in popular culture. Caleb, since you and I were doing a little cross-table talk, why don't you tell us what you're uh, you're jazzed about this week? Yeah, well, on the note of Star Wars, uh, you know, by the time this uh, episode is live, 
there will be a new Star Wars trailer, and tickets will be on sale for the new Star Wars movies. Uh, that's right. So that'll be Monday, October 19th. There is a new trailer jumping, uh, dropping during Monday Night Football, and tickets are going on sale immediately afterwards at 8 p.m. So by the time you're listening, if you want to go get, catch that Star Wars that opening weekend, go get your tickets right now uh, pretty much at any major theater near you. I'm so excited. This is going to be the last time. We get to be this excited about Star Wars because after this year, we're going to get one every year, and it's not going to be nearly as cool. So I'm really jazzed about that, really, really jazzed to experience the movie with some of the fine folk in this room, hopefully. Um, I heard you guys were, were all fired up about Beast with no, of no, the Beast of No Nation uh, a couple of months ago when the trailer came out. Yes. I watched it last night. Oh, how was it? I haven't got to watch it yet. Man, I cried a little bit. Uh, I really? died. I died on the inside. Something I didn't realize when we talked about this uh about a month or two ago, was that Kerry Fukunaga directed it, so now I'm even more oh, excited. No, no. He did not only... So I did some research. Not only did he direct it, he wrote this. This has been his baby. He wrote this. He's been working on getting this movie made for like six years. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and his and his style doesn't disappoint. Like, it is some of the He's most impressive visuals. Just, just... It's it's one you should we should all check out. Uh, really deals with the, the cycles of violence you guys have talked a lot about on the show in some really powerful ways. Uh, performance, Idris Elba kills it. I mean... I could gush on it all night, but just please go watch it. It's a movie that deserves to be seen. I really hope it makes it to the Oscars. My only concern is it might be one of those movies where it's almost hits too close to home and does not feature any prominent white actors or anything like that. That's my only concern. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that one is coming out. Uh, that's out on Netflix streaming right now. Or if you're in an area where it happens to be playing in your local independent theater, I highly recommend you check it out there. Uh, lastly, I'm really excited to announce that I am going to be co-hosting a spinoff show with the man, the legend, the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, where we go to the talkies, we go to the movies, and we're co- uh, we. Uh, you could say we're going back to the movies in our new podcast. Back you to could movies. say that. Yeah, that's right. Me and Mr. Arthur Gordon are going to be hosting a, hopefully, we're looking at a weekly release podcast where we review all the latest and greatest movies coming out of the theaters. Me and Arthur have both been writing for separate web publications for a while now, so it's very exciting to get together and to do a show spinoff uh, as a, as a, as a love baby between myself and the Good Trash Cinema. So it's, it's good times. And our first review out the gate is going to be Steve Jobs, written, uh, directed by none other than Danny Boyle and written by Aaron Sorkin. It's a lead, it's a front runner. Uh, this year at the Oscar and the Oscar race. So very excited to talk about that. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, are you fired up this week in pop culture? Apparently, I'm still here. Um, so I am fired up about two things, one of which is uh, I picked up a copy of, um, it's a book of poems, Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur. I think her last name is pronounced. And it's a really good read. Um, she became kind of famous, I think, on Instagram and social media, and she does a r- lot of really, really good, uh, good stuff. And then my other pick this week for Fire... Fired up in I am going to go to Wizard World Tulsa um, with a bunch of my friends. And uh, our prime reason for going is because we're going to meet some WWE superstars. So we're going to go and uh, meet Charlotte, uh, Ric Flair's daughter. And then we're going to go and hopefully meet Seth Rollins. Undertaker is going to be there, but his signature is really ungodly expensive. So none of us are huge Undertaker fans. So at that. So, yeah, that's going to be really fun. And I'm sure I'll post pictures and stuff. And I'm, of course, fired up about our new. Uh, shows that we're producing. 
Yes, that's right, dear listener. She said shows. The one thing I'm fired up about is the uh, the other spinoff show with me and Arthur, because apparently everyone loves Arthur. And uh, I wanted to title all of the shows that, but nobody was having <laughs> no it. No one was happy with it. And uh, Arthur and I are going to be uh, distributing the monthly The Cast Who Knew Too Much, which is going to be dedicated solely to one Mr. Sir Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, we're very, very excited about that. We've already figured out the first show. It's going to be on The Birds. It'll be dropping in the next week and a half, two weeks. And uh, we're really, really excited to be talking uh, production, uh, history, a little bit of analysis, and uh, the influences of Sir Alfred Hitchcock in the cinema. Well, there you go, dear listener. You've heard what we're fired up about. We've given you an opportunity to tell us what you're fired up about through social media. Please do that. And in the meantime, take a look at next week's film, which is a pick from Mr. Brigham Cole, and we're going to be looking at In the Mouth of Madness. There you go, dear listener. Take a look at that. Take a look at this week's film. And uh, by so doing, have a conversation with somebody because this will make going to the movies worthwhile. And until then, we'll see you all next time. Just a, just a regular gangbang!
me.